0: You would please take a copy of God's Word and turn to First Timothy, chapter four, verses six through sixteen. We're not done looking at the Book of Acts. We'll do that in coming weeks. But uh, it felt like for this week, ordination and installation service. Some of those festivities won't take place until eleven a.m. But um, with that occasion today, it felt felt appropriate to look to one of the pastoral epistles. One of the letters Paul wrote to a young pastor those include 1st Timothy 2nd Timothy Titus but 1st Timothy 4 verses 6 through 16. Without further ado let's turn our attention to the reading of God's holy inerrant and inspired word 1st Timothy 4 starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thus far, God's word, the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing as we consider his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you, we turn our eyes upon you and upon your son, Jesus, and we ask that you would show us our sin, show us our need of a savior, but then show us our savior, our all-sufficient savior. Help us to set our hope upon him. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen. This may be shocking, but this sermon is for the church, aren't they all? Yes, but some may be confused because this is a letter by Paul to Timothy, an old pastor to a young pastor. But this passage, this letter, is only partially for Timothy. Why do I say that? Because of Paul's closing words in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn with me to verse 21, 1 Timothy 6 verse 21, where it says, just look at the final Four words. It says grace be with you, but there's that footnote. My ESV, the footnote says the Greek for you is plural. In other words, it's not grace be with you, Timothy, and only with you. It's grace be with you all or y'all. Grace be with you, Timothy, and with all of you from the First Presbyterian Church of Ephesus who are reading over Timothy's shoulder. It's the letter. that's for all of them. For Timothy, the pastor, yes, but also for his church. It's as if Paul is saying, on the one hand, Timothy, your life is hid with Christ on high, so here's the kind of minister you should be, regardless of the results, the fruit. And on the other hand, he is saying, church, Timothy and I have a chat about what he needs to work on and here is the kind of minister that you should pray for a man who focuses on godly doctrine godly discipline hard work godly demeanor a gentle man and godly devotion to all of those things by by implication Paul is also saying if he does that if he majors on the majors then you need to stop caring about the other things. His age, his looks, good or bad, his hobbies, those things don't matter. And Paul directly says, if Timothy does this, if he persists in this, verse 16, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The pastor who fears God more than man in gratitude for God's grace, he will save himself by remembering, studying, proclaiming God's grace, And he'll save his hearers by reminding them of the grace that saved a wretch like him. Grace that frees us from needing man's approval. Grace that motivates us to please God. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the kind of pastor you should pray for. Four points this morning about that. The first thing we see is this. When your pastor hopes in the living God, he can focus on godly doctrine. When he hopes in the living God, he can focus on godly doctrine. Should the pastor try to please others, his critics, non-Christians? No, he should focus on pleasing God because that's where his hope is. And verse 10 reminds us of that. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe as everything before And after that verse is done in light of this verse. This is why Timothy, Paul, any godly pastor can strive for the right things, which are the hard things. One of those hard things is maintaining good doctrine, godly doctrine. You see that in verses 6 and 7. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. We'll talk about training for godliness in the next point. But for now, notice the emphasis on good doctrine in verse 6. Also notice these things. These things that you're supposed to put before the brothers at the beginning of the verse. What are these things? Are these things the... Deceitful things, the teachings of demons mentioned in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, that he's supposed to refute those things, reject those. Is it the teaching of insincere liars who forbid marriage? That's mentioned. These things may be every positive and negative instruction that Paul gives to Timothy in the first three chapters as well. See Ephesus, where Timothy served. It was soaked in false teaching it seems that maybe that didn't change. If you look at Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter four of 2 Timothy, verse two, he tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, that word again. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. There will always be bad teaching out there. Because you see, part of the problem is it doesn't come from out there. It arises from in here. We could spend more time on that. But bad teaching, itching ears, impure hearts... They arise like the dandelions that you thought you picked yesterday. So what do you do? You set your hope on the living God. And you keep weeding the flower beds. You teach trustworthy sayings like 1 Timothy 1:15: Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You reject irreverent silly myths. Sometimes you say, no, I don't believe that, but nobody reads this controversial, obscure blog, so I'm not going to mention it. Sometimes you say, no, John or whoever, I don't believe that's correct. Let's look at the Bible. Sometimes you say, I will not waste my time again with someone who believes something false, who is not open to correction. Bill Barkley, one of my mentors, the Paul to my Timothy, He says all three of those things are taught in the pastoral epistles at various points and all three of them might be a possible interpretation here because we have to focus on godly doctrine, don't we? We have to focus on that. You have to focus on the real McCoy so that you can spot the counterfeits when your hope is not found in winning the argument or winning someone's approval when your hope is set on the living God. And his promises, his grace, then you can focus on godly doctrine. And yes, that will sometimes mean rebuke, correction. But Donald Guthrie reminds us the best refutation of error is a positive presentation of truth. And he also says this is a principle which the church in every age constantly needs to learn. And when a pastor does this, he saves himself by nourishing his own soul with the grace that is greater than all our sin. And he saves his hearers by rejecting needless speculation by focusing on the great truths of scripture, like the living God who died and rose again for our salvation. That's why we want our pastors to hope in the living God so that they can focus on godly doctrine. And secondly, when your pastor hopes in the living God. He can strive for godly discipline for godly discipline. You see this in verses seven through 10. We're gonna read them all at one shot here. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who's the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. If new doctrine encourages ungodly behavior, just get rid of it. Even if you can't figure out why it's false, because God set Christians apart to reflect his goodness and his grace. So if some teaching encourages you to sinful appetites, gluttony, drink, drugs, sensuality, some kind of unbiblical pursuit of sexual desires, then just say no. I believe that was Nancy Reagan who first coined that actually no I think it was Titus 2 14 the grace of God has appeared and it teaches us to renounce or say no to ungodliness and why because it's worthless but there is something worthwhile if you know where to look verse 8 for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Elsewhere, Paul says he strains his body. Paul worked hard. But Paul is not saying, you know, physical training is pretty good and godliness is better. No, Paul says here, physical training is of little value. Oligos, like oligarch, the rule of the few. What do you want in your pastor? well-developed pecs or well-developed piety which one is going to help you more in your dark night of the soul physical training paul says has a little value because our time in these earthly bodies is relatively little or momentary but godliness godliness lasts forever godliness has value now because it causes the things of earth to go grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace, after all, man's applause is a moving target. So why chase after that? Godliness also has value in the life to come. Christians, you see, have the best of both worlds, multiple people have said. "If My hope is in the living God and not on earthly, temporary things. I can pursue godliness. That's true for Pastor Timothy, for for his people, for all people. Robert Murray McShane understood this That old Scottish minister. He once said what my people need most is my own holiness. They don't need me to give up to stop caring to grow cynical. They don't need me to lust for their approval more than God's approval. Godliness has value in every way at all times. So encourage your pastors in godliness. Most pastors struggle more with discouragement than with laziness you see Satan wants us to be discouraged and the lazy ones don't last they find something else to do so when you see someone pastors leaders whoever striving to do the right thing which also happens to be the hard thing most of the time encourage them and why are we talking so much about pastors today well again we'll be ordaining and installing Josh Harstein is our assistant pastor of youth and families. We'll be giving him the right to put Rev in front of his name, the righteous Reverend Josh Harstein. Now, Josh, don't ask your family to call you that. Don't expect that title to magically make you more holy, more righteous. Not that you would. But do let it remind you Every time you open the mail and say, who, who is Reverend Harstein? Did I get my dad's mail? Let it remind you, his dad is a pastor, those of you who don't know. Let it remind you both, number one, what you have pursued and been confirmed in by the Rocky Mountain Presbytery of the PCA, the denomination of Stephen Small, Smallman, Harry Reader, Tim Keller, all of whom, godly men, all of whom have entered The heavenly gates this week, let it remind you of that. And secondly, let it remind you what you are pursuing by God's grace. You're pursuing holiness, godliness, godly discipline in all things. And godliness is value in every way. And that's a trustworthy saying. The trustworthy saying could be verse 10. I'm 51% convinced that it's verse 8. But verse 10 is worth pondering for all of us too. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. God's the savior of all in this sense. His kindness has not zapped us yet, right? In his common grace, he preserves all of us longer than we deserve. You see, Adam and Eve should have died before they swallowed the fruit. And then what would have happened to all of us? He preserves us longer than we deserve. And then he saves to the uttermost those who believe in him. And that's why we've set our hope upon the living God who died and rose again for me. Because it's a living hope. A hope that doesn't put us to shame. Hope that frees you to pursue godliness, striving, stumbling, repenting, and then repeating the process. And persisting in that will save you. If you repent, if you turn from sin and turn back to your Savior. And it will also save your hearers if the man that they call reverend shows them his daily need to humble himself as he pursues holiness or godly discipline. And thirdly, when your pastor hopes in the living God, he can maintain a godly demeanor. A godly demeanor. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. It says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Show them who's the boss, but also be humble. (laughs) That's my paraphrase. It's not easy, is it? But a godly man, God's people need a man who can humbly say, this is what God's word says. His hope has to be in the living god who promises to preserve him despite human opposition and my friends this is harder today than it was a generation ago years of questioning authority has come home to roost how many industries and professions today are more respected now than they used to be but back then timothy also had an uphill battle you see despite Paul's great endorsement. If you look at Philippians 2.20, Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. Despite that, Timothy was not the most popular pastor in Ephesus. Was it because of his youth? He was probably in his 20s, maybe in his 30s. I was once that young. And when I was a youth pastor, I occasionally got asked... Do you want to be a real pastor someday? I would usually say two things. Secondly, I would say yes, but I'm not in a hurry. My bosses helped me appreciate the daily dying to self that was required to lead men and women in godliness. But I would also say, firstly, youth pastors are real pastors who minister primarily to youth and their families, parents. Why do youth ministers typically have short tenures? By the way, that's a trend we'd like to change by God's grace. Why is that? Is it it their youth? Do others look down on youth pastors because they are typically younger, less experienced? Maybe, but you know, Timothy was the senior pastor, the closest thing to it at Ephesus. They still look down on him because of his youth. And what is Paul's antidote? He says, set the example. Don't assert your title, your education, some qualification. No, just be godly. Set a godly example. Conduct yourself with a godly demeanor. Set the example in speech. Eloquence is not the goal here. Godly speech is edifying the brothers, avoiding unnecessary negativity. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32 would be a good example here. Set the example in conduct, your pattern of life, pursuing Godliness imperfectly yet dependently, because you know the grace that brought you safe thus far will also be the same grace that leads you home. Set the example in conduct. Uh, Set the example in love as well. Love God, family, church, in that order. And love the unlovable. Because we should know what it is for God to love the unlovable, the chief of sinners who is us. Set the example in faith, he says, by trusting God whom you can't see more than what you can see. And set the example in purity. If we want our churches to love what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, somebody has to take the lead. And so how do we help our ministers to do this, to show godly maturity, a godly demeanor? I would say let's start by asking questions like this. How mature is this man instead of how old is he? You know there's an old Jimmy Buffett song, I'm growing older but not up. You see age is no guarantee of maturity and all of us age at the same rate, you can't really speed that one up. We want to encourage and affirm maturity and maybe it would also help us to ask ourselves how did I become more mature? Maybe it was experience, maybe it was having a patient teacher. I once had an elder extol the virtue of humility, and so I said to him, well, how do we teach humility? His answer smiled, he said, gracious disagreement. There was a story behind it, a story of how he, as a young man, berated his pastor, incidentally, over something silly, and how the pastor smiled and calmly responded. And this may be gracious, disagreement, patience. This may be how we should mentor all of our young people, not just our pastors. Make it clear to them that godly maturity, godly demeanor is the goal. Something we can pursue at any age. You see, when your minister or any of Christ's servants, young or old, hopes in the living God and not simply the approval of their superiors, And he, they can focus on what God wants for all of us, godly demeanor, godly maturity and true godliness, the work of God's grace over a long period that will save yourself and it will save your hearers because true pursuit of godliness always exposes our ungodliness and it drives us back to the cross, the grace of God shed abroad in our hearts. When your pastor hopes in the living God, he can maintain a godly demeanor. And fourthly, when your pastor hopes in the living God, he can maintain a godly devotion, a godly devotion. You see this in the final verses here. This point is not a repeat. It's meant to be a a combo of all three, really, because this section of scripture, it focuses on our devotion to good godly doctrine. Verse 11 command and teach these things. Verse 13 until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. It also focuses on our devotion to discipline or godliness. Now, hard work is not the sum total of godliness, but you can't be godly if you don't work hard. Look with me, verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by the prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, literally be in them so that all may see your progress we could add verse 13 verse 16 and this section also focuses on our devotion to a godly demeanor you must teach with authority it says your your progress in all these things must be seen and then verse 16 keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching there's the doctrine peace again persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers and I also want to emphasize one thing we've, we've slightly overlooked, maybe minimized up to now. Amidst the hard commands for godly servant, lots of hard work, there's also a need for, for patience, for kindness. Paul would say in his sequel to Timothy chapter 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, with gentleness God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will if God's minister is going to do his job well he can't ignore verses like that he can't ignore verse 12 let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith in purity. And if you do that, you have to be kind, right? You can't just thunder from the pulpit all day. Alan Curry, who was pretty darn fiery in the pulpit himself, once told me and some other seminary students, the success of your ministry will in some ways be judged by the way you treat your secretary. And in some ways it should be, he said. Just this month, prominent PCA minister whose writings have helped me at times, no names, not the time for that, was suspended from office, was put on leave of absence by his elders for unhealthy leadership patterns. Now, if he's guilty, I pray he repents, makes restitution for what he's done. If the investigation ultimately clears him, I'll rejoice. I don't have any inside details, don't ask me. But sadly, I know situations like that have occurred too often. I also know what Zach Eswin writes in his book, The Imperfect Pastor. He says, most churches want to, quote, do large things famously as fast as possible, like all of society. Whereas most effective ministry is done in small, overlooked places over long periods of time. You see, even if you work hard and focus on good doctrine. Satan can tempt you with the trappings of success, which are quite addictive, quite dangerous for ministers and probably all people, which can lead to the opposite problems of laziness, overwork, neglecting family, neglecting piety in pursuit of success. A hard charging ministry that sees people and coworkers as obstacles to some goal. Christopher Ashe talks about this in his great little book, Zeal Without Burnout, and he shares a very insightful reason, one of the reasons for burnout. Sometimes we want success too much. And he quotes J.C. Ryle. Most of Christ's servants, Ryle said, have about as much success as their souls can handle. And you see, there is no shortcut or quick fix to avoid all these possible excesses and sins. Except for what verse 16 says, keep a close watch on yourself, leaders, laymen alike. Remind yourself that you are, you are prone to bad doctrine, the kind that de-emphasizes your indwelling sin and your need to mortify our own flesh and pursue godliness by his grace. Remind yourself that your demeanor needs constant maintenance. Remind yourself that you can't work ahead and you can't cram for the test when it comes to godly devotion. It's a daily endeavor, a daily test to ask, where is my hope? Is it in success, progress, my current level of godliness? Is it in the approval of others? It's a moving target. Why bother? Or is my hope in the living God, who loves me just as I am, but refuses to keep me just as I am, is my hope in the living God, the one who loves me and gave himself for me? If it is, if I make it my mission to please him and proclaim his grace, then I just may save myself by reminding myself who truly saves me. And I just may save my hearers who need God's grace just as much as me. Grace. It's a good word for a young, struggling, yet godly pastor like Timothy. It's a good word for the church. His church and ours. Grace. It's what we find when we set our hope on the living God. As Paul says at the end of his letter, grace... Be with y'all and that goes for all y'all and me too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. What you do is good. Thank you for your grace that is greater than all our sin. May it be the song we never tire of singing. May it be what fuels us in the morning, the afternoon and the evening. May it be what keeps us going. Father, help us cling to your grace. Help us cling to the cross where we find it. Help us to love you more. Help us to make you known. We pray all this in your most precious name. Amen.